Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. What I'm about to discuss, and yes, the time is finally here to circle back to the Milwaukee Bucks and their first championship in 50 years and how they achieved it, is in no way meant to diminish what the Bucks did or how refreshing it is to see a small market team prove itself to be the best of the NBA's other 29, better than the LA Lakers and their massive regional TV deal and mega corporate sponsors and hefty parking and ticket prices. Because make no mistake, those ancillary revenue streams that aren't available or as swollen for smaller markets matter. You can't spend as freely on your head coach or your staff, usually, or other parts of your support staff or front office, usually. Your facilities probably aren't as sumptuous. For a team like the Memphis Grizzlies or the New Orleans Pelicans, A couple of big contracts handed out to the wrong player or players can be crushing because those teams' latitude to go over the cap or, God forbid, into the luxury tax simply isn't there. It's no accident that those two teams were dead last in revenue a year ago and are currently ranked as the least valuable franchises in the league. There's a reason that when there's talk of relocation, those teams are usually the first ones mentioned. As an aside, 
I'm not expecting any relocation. Everything I hear about the owners is that they'd much rather expand selling expansion franchises at $2 billion a pop. A $2 billion that they then get to cut up 30, 30 different ways. But I digress. There are a lot of metrics by which to determine what is and isn't a small market in the NBA. You can go by TV market size, which Memphis and New Orleans are, again, the bottom two, followed by Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, San Antonio, Salt Lake City, and Indianapolis. Or you could go by metropolitan population, which would be, starting with the smallest, Salt Lake City, New Orleans, Memphis, Oklahoma City, and then Milwaukee. However you slice it, your reigning NBA champs are in a small market. They just don't operate like a small market team. Thanks to their billionaire owners, Mark Lazary and Wes Edens. And as a result, they are not valued as a small market team and generate a lot more revenue than most small market teams. Remember all those scenes of the Deer District, the area outside the Bucks' new arena packed with thousands upon thousands of Bucks fans? That was the creation of the new owners. And it wasn't just a space filled with fans. There are restaurants and eateries and bars and all sorts of uh, outlets there for people to spend their money. That whole Deer District was not Lazary and Eden's idea. They stole it. It was their creation, but it wasn't their idea. Once upon a time, the Los Angeles Lakers played in the Great Western Forum in Inglewood, California. There were no, no quality hotels or restaurants anywhere close to the Forum, so most people coming in for games stayed by the beach in Santa Monica and made the commute down for the games and back. That meant that they were spending all of their money on hotels and restaurants and entertainment out by the beach. At one point, the Lakers practiced at Loyola Marymount, which was located, still is, between the beaches and LAX. So staying out that way was convenient as well. But then Dr. Jerry Buss, or someone close to him with the Lakers, got or gave him the idea of building an arena in downtown Los Angeles. That's a place where people, nobody ever went. A lot of corporate buildings, businesses, but as a place to go, nobody went there. It wasn't, it wasn't a social scene by any means. But the property was relatively cheap and spacious, especially for Southern California. And it gave the opportunity of not just building an arena, but surrounding it with an oasis of four-star hotels and upscale restaurants and bars, massive parking structures, along with a movie theater and a concert venue. It was genius. Now, Dr. Buss could provide every aspect of a night out to watch the Lakers. A meal before, a place to park, a place to sleep afterward. Make it a weekend and you could expand your entertainment menu. And if my sources are correct, 
he got a slice from all of it. I was one of those people that would stay out by the beach, drive down or grab a taxi down for the games, and then head my way back afterward, fight the traffic all the way down. And it was a revelation. Normally, you you rented a car. You almost invariably rented a car when you went to L.A. But once they created the Staples Center and the hotels and the restaurants and, and that entire little, I don't know, six, eight block oasis, you took a taxi down down to the Marriott or the Ritz or wherever you were staying, right by the Staples Center, and you didn't get into a vehicle until it was time to go back to the airport. They had you. You were there. That's where you spent all your time and all your money. Pretty soon, every owner in the league wanted to create the same oasis for their team. And they have. Look at what the Warriors Chase Center has around it. It's not that just that the Chase Center is an amazing edifice. It has the restaurants around it in the same fashion. Name a new arena, and I guarantee you it is the hub for a complete night on the town, including in Milwaukee. They're making money off of people who aren't even ever going in the building. Again, as I said, genius. That's why, despite being a bottom five market in TV audience and overall population, the Bucks were 17th for the 2019-20 season, essentially a middle-class team when it comes to annual revenue. They actually out-earned the Suns, who were 22nd, and I'm going to guess it's because the hotels and restaurants were already there when the Suns built their new arena and practice facility. All of that is also why the Bucks, as of February, were ranked 20th in value at $1.625 billion. The Suns, by the way, are ranked 17th at 1.7. And you would think the greater valued franchise would be the greater revenue generator. But it goes to show what savvy businessmen Lazary and Edens are and how Suns owner Robert Sarver is. Well, he's a banker who isn't sure if he's going to re-sign Chris Paul or not or whether it's feasible or look for his comments on the subject. They're depressing. I'm not going to go through all of them here. I'd sound like a babbling idiot. They're depressing in that the owner of a team that just reached the NBA Finals could sound that unprepared for a question that he should have devised a pat answer, whatever his stance might be, Oh, right around the time the team was posting the second best record in the Western Conference and making the playoffs. Thanks in large part to Paul for the first time in 10 years. I digress again. Giannis Antetokounmpo, thanks to his statement in the press conference after the Bucks clinched the title about how he could have left Milwaukee and gone to a super team to win a championship, but that he decided to stay in Milwaukee to get the job done, and that it was hard, but they did it, led a lot of media and fans to naturally framing the Bucks as not being a super team. And I'm not so sure that's an accurate depiction. Is their superstar, Giannis, homegrown and an original draft pick? Yes. 
Did they develop their other longest tenured star, Chris Middleton, after picking him up from the Pistons a year after Detroit grabbed him in the second round? Sure. But the Bucks paid both of them as superstar players with max contracts before they actually won a title. Not even the Warriors did that in a much bigger market. The big paydays for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green all came after they clinched that first title, which is why when they won their first title, they actually had the 15th highest payroll in the league. The Spurs got even more bang for their buck the year before, winning a title with the 21st highest payroll. That's not who the Bucks have been, who they are, nor who they're going to be. Yes, they made a calculated trade earlier this season, sending Torrey Craig to the Suns for cash, and then landing P.J. Tucker with another cost-cutting measure by moving a pair of DJs, Augustine and Wilson. That was meant to put them just under the luxury tax. But if I'm not mistaken, a championship bonus in Drew Holiday's contract negated that effort. But they went over the luxury tax threshold in the first place because they haven't been shy about continuing to spend to pick up additional free agents. Bobby Portis on a two-year $8 million deal. Bryn Forbes on a two-year $4.8 million deal. Jeff Teague for a half mil for four months of work. Lazary and Edens have been spending unlike small market owners almost since they bought the team in 2014. They not only coughed up the max contracts for both Middleton and Antetokounmpo, they re-signed Brooke Lopez to a four-year $52 million deal, a hefty raise from the one-year $3 million deal that got him to Milwaukee in the first place. And when that wasn't enough to get the Bucks over the hump, all that wasn't enough, they traded away their chance of being frugal anytime in the near future by way of the rookie salary scale and having filling out their roster with, uh, with, with young players by dealing as many future picks as allowed to get Holiday and then signed him to a four-year $134 million extension. The upshot of all this is that they've been top 10 in player payroll the last couple of years. They're projected to be top five next season, and they could be top three the season after that. The chance of them having to spend a bundle, not just in luxury tax, but the additional repeater tax for being over the cap for multiple years looks almost certain. That is generally the norm for teams that hope to be perennial title contenders. The reason the teams that are capable of doing that are usually in major markets is because they can afford to be. Your top seven franchises in value are all in major markets. Knicks, Warriors, Lakers, Bulls, Celtics, Clippers, Nets. Not surprisingly, the top seven in revenue are pretty similar with the difference being two major cities in Texas, Houston and Dallas, pushing Boston to eighth. Then you got the Warriors, the Knicks, the Lakers, Rockets, Bulls, Mavericks, Nets. The Clippers, valued higher in the top seven, slid to 12th in revenue, presumably because they can't draw quite the same corporate sponsorship deals with everyone clamoring to be connected with the Lakers brand first. 
I also doubt the Houston revenue will hold with the exodus of James Harden and the team's freefall to the bottom of the league. The Bucks' revenue and valuation are headed in the other direction. If Lazary and Edens can spend as if their team is in New York, where the two men are actually based, they can do it because one, the franchise value had doubled since the time they bought it, from $550 million to over, as I said, $1.6 billion. And that valuation was in February of this year. I have to imagine the value of the franchise has to be approaching $2 billion as a result of winning a title, with A, stars in their prime capable of winning another one, and B, the wild success of the Deer District advertised for all the world to see. Giannis deserves all the credit in the world for refusing to follow the trend, for seeing the faith and funds the Bucks invested in him as deserving of his loyalty to bring the team and the town a title rather than seeking one elsewhere. But as he has demonstrated in a variety of ways, he's not completely versed in the nuances of the NBA and its business model. Winning a championship is truly hard. He and the Bucks experienced several years of frustration and disappointment. They overcame that by continuing to reshuffle the deck around Giannis and Middleton until they found just the right mix. Lazary and Edens financed that reshuffling, and it didn't come cheap. It's not the way small market teams generally operate. Oklahoma City is another recent exception. Portland is another which is why I don't begrudge Oklahoma City in particular for pulling back and growing, going frugal here for a stretch. And we'll see what happens with Jody Allen now taking over for Paul Allen. I keep hearing that uh, the Blazers are going to be sold sooner rather than later. And part of that is because Jody doesn't want to be involved with the team the way her uh, brother did. And because... It's an expensive proposition. So that's why small market teams generally don't have multiple shots at a ring. And now the Bucks do. As long as Lazary and Edens are willing to continue to pay for it. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, we will have had the 2021 NBA Draft. And I imagine that we're going to have more than a couple of deals transpire that are going to be moving marquee players as a result. We will get into all of that behind the scenes maybe the deals that didn't happen and almost did all of that in the next podcast in the meantime as always thanks for listening catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 